I wonder if anyone in the room is a little bit like me in not always following instructions that carefully. Um, some of you may be able to relate to this, some of you won't, because you're real instruction followers. Well done to those, those people. Um, I had a great one this week. I sort of signed up in the, the January sale for middle-aged Pilates lady classes and didn't really read the instructions. And apparently you're meant to wear grippy socks. So while I was on this platform uh, retainer bed thing, doing some sort of pushing out thing, I sort of slid off, um, which was very embarrassing. Um, another one I've told some of you uh, before in another talk is uh, we, we've got a dog, and our dog's great. He's such a lovely dog, and he's really well behaved. He's a brilliant dog, but when he was a puppy, he would sometimes have those toddler kind of accidents and, and sort of had to learn, you know, how to go to the toilet and all that. And so Richard said, oh, I've got a spray. Um, so I picked up the spray, and I sprayed the whole house. And after about a week, I was like, Richard, I feel like it's getting worse, not better. He just doesn't seem to be going outside. And Richard was like, yeah, yeah have you used the spray? I was like, yeah, yeah, I've used the spray. I've used it everywhere. At that point, Richard's face kind of fell. What do you mean you've used it everywhere? Apparently, the spray is like the scent of where you're meant to wee. And so I basically turned the entire house into a dog-smelling toilet zone for the dog or something. So there we go. We are in um, a passage or passages tonight where we basically see God's people massively not following instructions. And some of what we see is deadly serious. Some of it's quite comical as uh, we look at it, um, but it all kind of stems from this not really stopping and reflecting and following instructions. So if you're new tonight, we're in a series in 1 Samuel, and tonight we're actually covering chapters 4, 5, and 6. So you may want your Bibles out, and you may want to flick around as I'm speaking, but I'm going to do two things tonight. I'm going to just tell us the story of that, and then I'm just going to draw out two things for us to reflect upon. So here we go. This is the story, chapters 4, 5, and 6. At this time, the Israelites and the Philistines are at war, okay? The Israelites, God's people, Philistines, bad, boo, they're at war. Israel, however, is defeated in the battle. That's the start of chapter 4, and 4,000 of the Israelites die. And when they come back from the battle, they ask a really important question. It's brilliant. They basically said, why did we lose? And if only, if only they'd stopped to really reflect on that question. But no, because they're not really good at the reflecting, listening to instruction stuff. They plow on ahead and go, we know why we didn't lose. Right, next strategy. What we need to do is we need to go and grab the Ark of the Covenant and we'll take that into the battle and it's, that'll be fine. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, for those of you who don't know, is a kind of box that they had and the box contained within it the Ten Commandments that they'd got from the mountain from God. And they carried around the Ten Commandments in this precious box. And this box had been with them as they'd travelled out of, um, through the desert and towards the Promised Land. They'd at times come across streams and rivers. They'd stepped out into them with the ark in front of them and the waters had parted. It was believed that if the ark was there, then no snakes would bite their ankles. The ark was this sort of special presence uh, to them of God with them. 
so they think, right, we'll just take it into the battle. No consulting the priests, no really praying about it, just that's what we'll do, we just take it right in. So the Philistines, who are like camped over here, get word of it, and they're like, oh no, you can read that in chapter four, it literally goes, oh no, they've got the Ark of the Covenant and they're going to bring it into battle. And what I kind of envisage here is I envisage um, sort of New Zealand rugby team uh, about to do the hacker, having like a little talk with each other before they go out to play a big rugby match. And I imagine them kind of, come on guys, they've got the Ark, oh no, they've got the Ark, they're going to win. We're going to have to like really fight. I kind of like that sort of, then they kind of do that kind of man talk and they basically say come on man up you've got to be men if we don't be men today that's it we're going home it's be a man and fight or go home and they have this little pep talk and as they have this pep talk they gear themselves up to fight and the passage say they fight with all their might that right and they killed 30,000 Israelite men that day. They utterly destroy Israel. And not only do they kill 30,000 men, but they capture that Ark of the Covenant and they take it away with them. So someone runs back from the battlefield. Eli, who's the priest, meant to be the leader of the times there, and uh, he's concerned that they have actually taken that ark into battle. It's good that he's concerned about that. He's concerned about that more than he's concerned about his own sons that are in the battle. But he hears the terrible news that his sons have died and that the ark of covenant has been captured. At that point, he's so devastated by what's happened and what Israel have done that he keels over and dies. And you get that slightly humorous um, because he was heavy. He broke his neck and died. Um, that the heavy thing is not really a fat, thin thing. It's, it's about the fact that actually as a person, he'd overindulged, that he was spiritually unfit, that he'd been eating off the offerings too much in that temple. Uh, it's an interesting, just an interesting little detail in the story, but I think it says something about Eli's spiritual life, actually, not just about his physicality. But here was a man who had slightly abused his position and slightly overindulged in what was before him. So his daughter-in-law, who hears the news as well, a uh, horrible bit of the story, obviously well, it's all horrible, um, but also continues to be horrible in that she goes into early labor pains and she dies in childbirth. Horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. We then move into chapter five. Now, chapter five, I think, um, is a little bit funny, uh, but yeah, it's also, also serious. Um, basically, what happens when God's people fail in battle is that it not only hurts them, but it also hurts the people who don't yet know God. To see what it does to the Philistines, they've won the battle, they've got the ark, they're not meant to have the ark. They don't know what to do with it. And chapter five, we see this awful playing out of the fact that they get harmed because God's people have failed. 
So what they do with the ark is they treat it a bit like a trophy. Yay, we got, we got the Israelites, precious thing, woohoo! Um, they didn't know what to do with it, they didn't know how to treat it, and so they put it in their temple of their god, Dagon, and you get this funny little exchange in chapter 5, where basically overnight, Dagon, there's the statue of their god, Dagon, just falls flat in his face. And so they wake up in the morning, they're like, oh dear, and they like pick him back up again, and they go to sleep again the next night. The next night he falls over, bam! And this time his head comes off and his hands come off too. And they sort of begin to see that this Ark of the Covenant, this this God of Israel, this God who defeated the Egyptians and sent plagues on them, is real and is powerful. And they don't really know what to do with it. But then um, it gets worse because it spreads out and the people of that time are affected and they start getting like tumors in their bodies and they get sick because they're not meant to have this Ark of the Covenant with them. They don't know what to do with it and they get sick too. And so they're all like not in a great place. And so then you end chapter five with this other quite comical story because they get the Ark of the Covenant and they get two cows and they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, attach the cart to the two cows and sort of kick it off in the direction of Israel. And this cart sort of wanders off by itself. But of course, because the Lord Almighty is in charge of the whole thing, this cart just goes straight back into Israel where it's meant to be. The Israelites see chapter 6. It says, the ark of the Lord coming towards them. And they celebrate. Woo, we've got the ark back. This is awesome. We've got our precious thing back. This is amazing. And then they're flippant with it. Do you know, for me, this is one of the most scary bits of the story. Because they know God. They get to be close to God. Yet, they don't respect God. And I think it hits me because I know that we talk about Jesus being like our friend, our lover, who loves us, and he does. But he's also holy. He's really holy. And they're flippant with the ark. They're just like, woohoo, we got the ark of the covenant back, woohoo. And they look inside it, but the rules say that, that they shouldn't do that. And so chapter six ends on a bit of a sad note because those that look inside it, bam, God just kills them off. And so we get this really bizarre kind of set of stories sad things, big things, slightly comical uh, things going on. And I want to draw out to us tonight just a couple of reflections to bring it back into West London tonight. What are we going to do with this story? What can we gain from it? Well, there's loads of things, absolutely loads of things that we could speak about. But I'm going to talk about just two. And I'm going to ask you two questions in doing that. The first question is this. Who do you let tell you tough stuff? Who do you invite to challenge you? You see, I think at the heart of what's gone wrong for God's people in these passages is that they haven't taken the time to have spiritual health checkups. Now I'm going to make a massive assumption about all of us in the room and the assumption is this. My assumption is that you really want to live a good life. You want to live life well. 
I'm also going to make the assumption that you want to other people out there to know God. And then the final assumption I'm going to make is that you want to be productive in life. Yeah? So if we want those things, one of the things that's going to help us get there and following those through is inviting people from time to time to give us a spiritual fitness checkup. You see, what's happened to Eli and his sons is this. They went well off track. And in doing so, they didn't get to live full lives. His son's lives got cut short. They died in the battle. Eli keels over. Yeah, he's old, but what a way to go. Because of what they've done, the people who don't know God, the Philistines, also get hurt. And rather than discovering the goodness of God, they learn nothing much about the God of the Israelites. The Israelites are confusing them about God. They don't really understand it. They've learned something about his power, and yet no one's there to really explain it to them. And so they just go back the next day to worshipping Dagon, even though they've seen the power of the Lord Almighty. And not only have they lost people through tumours, they've learnt nothing about the holy God, that they should be looking at Israel, they should be looking at Israel and going, wow, that's God. Okay, yeah, we think we ought to worship that true God too. And finally, Eli and his sons leave no productivity or fruit from their ministry. They've just abused their positions of power. So if we want not to be like that, I think we need to invite people to speak into our lives to give us spiritual health checkups. And not just invite it, but then reflect upon it. Eli failed to do this well for his sons. He turned a blind eye to their bad behavior in the temple. And it just led to disaster. And I want to bring it back to West London in the form of a question of who do you invite to do this for you is because I don't think we're very good at saying tough stuff in love to each other. We kind of, as a culture, don't think it's our place to do that. We're like, I don't want to seem judgmental and it's not really my place to say it and they've got to make their own decisions and so I'll just, I won't say anything because that's kind of awkward and we kind of all dance around each other a little bit like that because it's so ingrained in our culture that each person gets to make their own decisions and live life how they want to choose to live it. We don't live in a culture much where we speak into the lives of each other very directly. And so what I'm saying tonight is if you want that to happen because you want to live a good life, you want people to know God and you want to be productive, is that you're probably going to have to invite people to ask you, the will you tell me the challenging stuff? And I just, I just want to spend like a few, just a few moments on this because it's complicated, isn't it, right? Um, but I, it was brilliant actually in staff team, one of, one of the people there um, 
was saying how they knew they were going a little bit off track. And so they told a home group leader about it. And they knew that this home group leader would ask them about it every week. And so that would mean that they didn't want to lie to that home group leader. So they were going to have to be diligent about doing whatever it was they were going to try and do and not go down another path. There's something very powerful about it when we do like that. But we need to know that the people we're working with and talking with like that really love us, don't we? We've got to be careful. We don't just want to invite everyone, oh, speak into my life, tell me anything challenging you want. That would be a bit overwhelming. We've got to find the right spaces and the right people. So I have um, three friends who are all vicars, and we've been meeting together now for too long because I'm getting old but it's like over 10 years and we only meet each other like once a year often because we live all over the place and they're like up north and all that but whenever we do we'll always spend some time asking each other difficult questions and one time this was probably a little while ago quite well quite a few years ago now we were praying together and as we were praying, um, the guy in our group, he just turned to me and said, Nick, I don't want to say this, but as I'm praying for you, I've just got the song in my head. I love it when you call, I love it when you call, but you never call at all. And I was like, ouch, that's like painful. And what he was saying in that was like, God is saying to you, Nicola, I love it when you call, I love it when you call but you never call at all. And right at that moment in time, my prayer life was pretty rubbish. And I'd lost my like chit-chat intimacy with God. And so when he said that, it just hit to the core of me. It was like, ouch, and I need to do something about that. And I need to do something about that like now. This is serious. If I lose my chit-chat relationship with God, this is just, this is horrendous, actually. This is really serious. But I could take him saying that to me because I know he loves me as a friend. I know that he is for me, and I know that he's journeying with me. And I know that other times I get to say tough stuff to him. And we're walking together in trying to be better followers of Jesus. So my challenge to you tonight is who will you invite to speak into your life and to say the stuff not just that you want to hear, but sometimes to challenge you on that gritty stuff. I have another friend, and we do it, money, sex, power, just quickly, how's it going with you, God, and money, you, God, and sex, you, God, and power? Just really simple, bam, 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 she's very direct, and so it works like that. We have quite a direct, quick conversation, that's it, done, done for the six months or whatever. But I don't do that with everybody, that would be way too intense, right? But you, you pick, like, some people are looking really worried, they're like, please, Nicola, do not invite me to do that with you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, all right. I can see your faces. I pick, but I know who I'm going to pick. Someone's smiling over there. I might pick them. Um, so, you know. <laughs> but find those people because our culture means that that is not going to happen by accident. 
you're going to have to invite somebody to do that. And I just wonder in these passages, I wonder how different it would have been for Eli's sons if they'd invited correction into their lives and if they'd reflected on it and then done something good with it. I wonder if those Israelites had just stopped for a moment and invited themselves to question and challenge one another. Hang on a minute, why did we lose that battle? Why are we not on our knees praying right now? I wonder how different it would have been. And next week, when we're in chapter 7, we see this most awesome battle where it is completely different. And the people of God come and they confess their sins to God. And they come before God and they're like, God, we want to be your people. We want you to fight for us. And you know what happens? God just goes, boom, and destroys the Philistines. They don't even have to get out their swords. It's like amazing. It's a completely different battle. But it takes them these mess-ups and failures to get to that point. But I just wonder if they'd said the challenging stuff to each other, whether they'd have got there quicker. And the final thing I just want to leave us with is, is who are you going to worship this week? Because littered through these passages are kind of idols and other gods vying for power, whether it's, whether it's our own strategy that can become our God. Like, yeah, I'll just get the Ark of the Covenant, let's go! I'm amazing, I've got strength in myself, I don't need God. Or whether it's like another idol like Dagon, okay? I, I don't think many of you have got a Dagon set up in your flat or whatever in London. But what's tricky for us, let's bring this into London, is what is it that we worship that isn't God? And the truth is for us, and this is where I think it is tricky for us, that it isn't a stone statue, is that most of us can end up worshipping really good things. Work is a really good thing. And I believe God wants us to be, you know, have favour in our workplaces and to do well in our workplaces and to work hard. But when does it tip sometimes into that becoming our thing we worship, where we gain our identity that we will focus our whole self on. And what about clothes, relationships, food? All good things, they're good things. But when does it tip sometimes for us into the worship of something? What are our idols? What are we really going to worship? Because really above all of this story, and you'll notice that Samuel, our hero, is missing completely from these chapters. It's as if the writers are like, he had nothing to do with this <laughs> rubbish that was going on. Because over all of this, there's this idea that, you know, God Almighty is God Almighty. And you can do whatever you want to do. You can worship whatever you want to worship. But God Almighty is God Almighty. And at some point, you're going to bow your knee. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He's everything. He's amazing. He's far above. He's so close and yet so beyond my imagining. He threw the stars into space. 
yet he apparently knows how many hairs are on my head. The God we worship is the true God. And he is sovereign. And he is at work, whatever else is going on in his world. And so who will you worship tonight? Who will you worship as you go into this week? Because I think Eli and his sons lost sight of the God they should have been worshipping. The image or picture of God Almighty was not at the forefronts of their minds. And so they got hurt. The Philistines got hurt. The whole of Israel got hurt. Pretty serious repercussions. So if you want to live well, you want others to know God, and you want to be productive in life, why not just ponder those questions this week? Who will you let speak into your life? Invite someone. And who are you really going to worship? Take some time to have that spiritual checkup.